the unique part of this model also is that it prescribes to you how do you integrate technology during each entry phase, which I think was another important step that was lacking in some of the models that I've seen, because I've seen great technology within classrooms, but they were utilized at the wrong time. And it's almost like you're adding technology to your instructional program or, or your instructional delivery, as opposed to integrating technology, which I think is a big difference. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And today we're sharing an interview Getting Smart team member Mary Ryersey recently had with our friend, Dr. Philip Hickman, superintendent of Columbus Municipal School District in Columbus, Mississippi, about the new instructional model that he created. His K-16 Instructional and Technology Integration Model, or K-16-ITI, is transforming teaching and personalizing learning within the classrooms of CMSD. This district serves around 4,500 mostly low-income students, and in the short time Dr. Hickman has been the superintendent, it has seen tremendous and successful changes, such as a district-wide shift away from textbooks to open educational resources, and a push to secure devices for student use. Dr. Hickman originally began his career in Houston, the largest school district in Texas with over 200,000 students, but he specifically chose to apply to this smaller district on the advice of his mentor. So let's listen in as Dr. Hickman shares his journey to becoming superintendent of CMSD and his plans to help students there successfully compete for future careers in a global society. Dr. Hickman, thank you for joining us for the Getting Smart podcast. We are really excited to hear about the great work that you are doing. Please tell us a little bit about why you are in Columbus and what your vision is for the district. Well, um, being the superintendent of Columbus is quite an honor. I, I came here, I was the assistant superintendent in Houston Independent School District, uh, where we had a little under 300 schools and 210,000 students. And I had a pretty good conversation with my uh, superintendent at the time and mentor, uh, Dr. Terry Greer. And I had an opportunity to go to a large district uh, to be a superintendent. And what he said was basically, with your age, you're young enough to where, you know, you may want to go to a smaller district that really would never have the opportunity to have a superintendent of your caliber and to make an intimate difference with your time. You know, you can always sit at a larger seat uh, in a district, but really go to a community that needs some transformational change and, and really impact the, the youngsters uh, trajectory uh, of their life. And so uh, we, we kind of looked at the districts that were available and we, we kind of zeroed in on Columbus Municipal School District. Uh, it had a, a, you know, a lower socioeconomical population. Uh, it was a failing district and it really needed uh, you know, a vision, and it really needed some, um, you know, outside kind of eyes and and some uh, transformational leadership. And so that's why we chose uh, Columbus Municipal School District. And and my vision here is really to educate children that they're able to compete in a global society. Um, and one of those changes that we really had to look at was the interaction of of technology. Uh, and preparing our kids for uh, those kind of fields that are important for the future. Dr. Hickman, one thing we know you've done is you've really made a difference as you came to the district with accessing open education resources, helping get the right tools and resources in teachers' and students' hands. Uh, you also made the really strategic decision 
I'm a little biased. I think an instructional model is super important, but not every district or every superintendent takes the time to do that. Why did you do more than have a plan to get resources in people's hand and really say, and, and get the curriculum or the learning target set? Why did you decide to say, we're going to have our own instructional model that we all follow? Well, you know, I came here excited. I My experience from being in Chicago area, Texas, Kansas City, uh, St. Louis, uh, you know, in, in parts of Illinois, I, I really wanted to look at what what is it that leads to effective change, you know, and we definitely need technology. Our children need to touch technology in order to have access to their current lives and their future lives and not just use technology in a point and clicks uh, standpoint, but to utilize it in the four C's. But one of the things that I, I saw that was a gap throughout my experience of education is that, you know, especially when we were at Houston and we were kind of one of the first larger districts to kind of be successful with rolling out technology. And one of the things that the, the philosophies that I gathered was, again, if you lead with technology, you know, it, it, it becomes a, a negative disruptor. So it, it actually, to hand out technology without, um, you know, that professional development uh, is a negative disruptor. But even before that, I think you know, when talking to, to uh, experts out there in technology, and, and I know Bill Gates has said it once before, but the other thing is that it is inappropriate to, to, to put technology and newer ways of thinking on an old instructional model that was never designed uh, for our children of today to access their future. And so, you know, I, I really started to do my research and homework and, and looked at certain blended models. And to be honest, a lot of people were scared of, of blended models. They were scared to be blended. There, there was not enough of a transition. It was kind of an all or nothing. Uh, and, and the teacher was kind of utilized as a facilitator. And I didn't think that that totally was effective, especially when you want to get the buy-in of the teachers. You really want to get the teachers used to doing something that's different. But you also want to be able to have it to where learning can transform to be personalized. And so that's why I kind of, you know, put a lot of the research together and developed a, an instructional model uh, specifically for our district. Awesome. Well, and it really elevates the role of the teacher and um, underscores the importance of the role of the teacher. So talk about that a little bit. What would we see if we walk into a classroom? What would teachers be doing in Columbus Municipal Schools that, that might look different from somewhere else. And in doing so, you can describe the model. It, whether you bring it to life or describe it first, uh, you choose how to handle that. In our school district, you actually see a lot of different movement. Uh, and so within that model, it, it allows for entry points. Uh, and so a teacher can be uh, at any different level within the instructional model, meaning they can be in high impact centers, right? Which is kind of a center rotation model, but those center rotations are, are, are pretty prescribed as far as why they're, they're data driven as far as why would you choose this center or not. So you're not going to go and you're not going to see the same style of center uh, every time. You're going to see students independently working. And so that's the, the you do phase where you're going to see them showing their level of mastery to be able to, one, dictate what center that they go to or what center style uh, that the classroom or the individual students uh, go to. And so it's kind of a gradual release of responsibility. You also may see teachers um, going up the ladder. You may see teachers in the we do, they do stage. And so you see collaborative groups or you may see independent groups at the collaboration 
where teachers are, are given instruction and students are working through them and they're having a, a deeper level of understanding. They kind of ha having that uh, learning from their peers and, and learning yeah. from each other. And then you can have the I do where you, where you do have a teacher that is doing your traditional relaying information. And th the unique part of this model also is that it prescribes to you how do you integrate technology during each entry phase, which I think was another important step that was lacking in some of the models that I've seen. Because I've seen great technology within classrooms, but they were utilized at the wrong time. And it's almost like you're adding technology to your instructional program or, or your instructional delivery, as opposed to integrating technology, which I think is a big difference. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and today we're speaking with Dr. Philip Hickman, Superintendent of Columbus Municipal School District in Columbus, Mississippi, about the new instructional model that he created, the K-16 Instructional and Technology Integration Model. If you'd like to hear more about the great work Dr. Hickman is doing in this district, be sure to check out Season 2, Episode 29 of our podcast, where Tom Vanderark and Dr. Hickman discuss how this Mississippi district personalizes learning for teachers and students. Continuing with this podcast, Mary asks Dr. Hickman to go into more detail around the four different phases he references as students gain independence in their learning process. The I do, we do, they do, and you do. The phases mark the progression in the student learning experience from direct teacher instruction to independent student work. At phase one, if I may call it that, where it's the I do phase. And again, that's where the teacher is providing kind of direct instruction. And, and they only use that model to introduce new material or to review material. And so you don't want to stay in that phase. And during that, there's a technology integration. And so that technology that that teacher is using is for demonstration purposes. So, you know, in the, in the traditional sense, your PowerPoints, you may have the smart boards, you're integrating OER in that sense to be able to differentiate the concept of the objective, the learning objective that you're, you're teaching for that day. Awesome, and then, and then phase two, yeah? Phase two is we do. And so we do and they do are kind of mixed into that phase. And that's more of a group discussion, but technology is, is used one to communicate and, and one for assessment purposes. Uh, they give you that real-time feedback, kind of that GPS model, because if the students are not getting to any of the, the later entry points, then you need to go backwards. So in the case, if you were in WeDo and the students are not demonstrating that, that mastery, then you need to go back to IDo because you assume that the initial discussion or the initial instruction from the beginning was not there to be able to give the kids the level of understanding. But some kids may still slide down to I do because it's individualized to you do, I'm sorry. And so the next phase or phase three would be the you do phase. And that's individual practice. All right. So that's independent where the student is, is showing the level of mastery uh, by themselves. And then they jump down to the high impact center. So a quick, real quick uh, explanation of that is if you're in the I do phase, that's, let's say we're just working on a math problem. The teacher is there in introducing the concepts of addition or, or long division, I'm sorry. And so the teacher is at the board or the teacher has a, a, a slate or a tablet and is working it and, and students are either looking at it on their computer or they're able to look at it on some kind of projector screen or, or they you know, have Apple TV and they, they throw it on the TV. The, the next phase, and we do, is kind of a call and response. So the teacher puts, you know, as she's putting, he or she is putting the, the problem on the board 
and and asking students questions, and the students are kind of you know kind of a, a whole group call and response situation. And along there, the, the teacher is still assessing using technology. They do is is actually group learning, so it's not it's not like the the high impact centers, but everyone is doing the same thing. So the teacher puts a problem on the board, a long division problem, and as a group, they figure out how to work it. May send a representative to the board. You utilize the technology. They may put the answer on their slate. They may put the answer on, on some kind of uh, uh, technology that gives real-time feedback. The teacher is able to see it, and then they're able to progress down to you do. You do is that the teacher still gives a long division problem, and we're keeping it simplistic. Individual students are working a problem. And say through technology or just, you know, a fist of five, you know, five is the level of understanding, a totally four, three, two, one, zero. Those, that, that grouping, that level of mastery, determines what model of high impact centers that you use. During high impact centers, the one of the important things is that technology is used specifically for the four C's. So it's communication, collaboration, critical thinking, creativity. Utilize the four C's for them to to, to able to obtain a, a higher level of mastery. So there yeah. you, you may have project-based learning. You know, there you may have that that those cooperative type of opportunities, those real time learning experiences that you can take the the theoretical knowledge that you just learned and you can actually apply it. And so, right. and we know that that's a deeper level of understanding for kids and for humans and for people, period. And so that's where we want to get them to. But be careful because that data, if you have a lot of, you know, if, if everybody is hovering around the twos and ones, if we still go from the five to zero model, then we need to go back and reteach it because that you know, the whole group didn't get it. But if we have those nuggets of kids that are at, you know, ones and zeros, we have those nuggets of kids that are at twos and threes, then those students still need FaceTime. And that's okay. So they have that FaceTime with the teacher while the other kids are in their high-impact centers rotating. And at the end of the day, what we want is for our kids to have a level of mastery. And if I needed FaceTime with my teacher to have a, a level of understanding and, and mastery, then that's what I needed. That's personalized. If I already have that level of understanding and, and I'm able to obtain a deeper level through uh, project-based learning, through you know uh, those kind of models, then that's then that's okay too. So it's still differentiated within the high impact centers. And how do the teachers work together to um, to really design these high impact centers? And what might that look like in a classroom? Yeah. So initially, the the, the teachers, you know, you you would definitely want the vertical articulation uh, with teachers the same grade level. But we also do the vertical, uh, I'm sorry, horizontal articulation too. Yeah. Uh, and, and so those are doing the PLCs. And so we want to know vertically the, the upper grades, what challenges were you having when we come to this unit, right? Because then we, we'll know what kind of authentic learning to provide for our kids to be able to, to, to pull them out higher. And then that horizontal aspect of it is from the teachers are collaborating with the with the same grade level and they're able to draw out based on their day-to-day -day assessments based on their group and based on what they're seeing in their building and what they're seeing throughout the district right and so then they're able to develop high impact centers and and the high impact centers you know we have the, the basis that go from year to year and then they start to develop even more based on your students and based on your data and so again it, it becomes personalized and you will see various different things because, you know, we, we try not to standardize the unstandardizable. 
Our children are not, <laughs> yeah. our children they are do. not standardized, right? And so right. They, you, you may see different activities uh, that still are wrapped around that learning objective or that learning standard uh, for yeah. that child to master. Can you give us an example of a center you've seen? I know you're in classrooms and schools frequently, Dr. Hickman. I know that's where you live. So what's an example that you've seen recently of something students were doing in a center? Well, let, let's take a um, social studies. And, and so this is kind of uh, simple. It's at one of our global schools, which is actually a fifth uh, elementary. And one of the things that they were doing is that they were one, having learning across curriculum, right? Math and reading across curriculum. And they wanted to, to get something that was very important and, and pertinent uh, to our students. And our students kind of hover around um, that, that poverty range. And so one of the things that they did was they actually first attacked a global problem of food scarcity and to look at it from a, a world standpoint. But uh, and so they did their research, you know, at the centers, those kids were rotating. They, they researched with technology. They were collaborating, you know, with each other. What we try to have them do through uh, VIF is have them collaborate with people outside the community and, and other states uh, through Skype and those kind of things. And then where our students took it even further, where they took the global scarcity and they brought it all the way down to their community where you have. Uh, which is called uh, what they call kind of a green scarcity. And so they have food, but do they have nutritious food? Do they have mm -hmm. fresh grocery stores, you know, that have fresh produce and, and those kind of things. And so it was a, it was a real life problem that they saw. They, they looked at infrastructure, how much would it cost to start to, you know, for a, a person of poverty to travel to a, a, a grocery store that has fresh produce and without having a busing system that we don't have. And so, you know, they looked at it from an economic standpoint, you know, financial standpoint, health standpoint. So they brought in science and those kind of things. And it was just, it, it was great. It, it was a great uh, activity that I saw kids do. But, you know, I, I may come in a classroom and it, where it looks like kids are, are playing games with cards and they're doing a math center. Right. But one of the things that they're doing is what everybody has to understand is, you know, uh, one time a, 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 a person who was doing a walkthrough with me, we call them learning walks, and they said, I don't see the rigor at this. And I said, wait a minute now, rigor is really, one, is it's about complexity, right? It's not about just hard. And there were different steps that, that children had to go through with mental math and, and figure it out in order to, in order to beat their opponent. And so it was, it was, it was still uh, a, a level of critical thinking and creativity that was involved in that center. Uh, and, and it was that communication was there. And, and they were able to, to uh, utilize their resources with technology to be able to find the answer. And that was a good thing because one of the things we wanted to get away from was utilizing technology just to point and click. And so if I, if I talk to my, my other peers, or superintendents of lower socioeconomic environment, they utilize technology for gaming in a sense of basic gaming, point and click. I do think gamification has its purpose, but not in the sense that this is. It's just really, you know, one plus one is two when you pop the bubble and, you know, ha, it gives a hurrah. But, <laughs> but when I go to other areas, even when I was in Houston and the more affluent areas, when those children were using technology, I mean, they were at home 
I remember talking to a parent. He said, you know, I have to be careful of walking into my son's room, you know, with my shirt off because he may have two or three screens up on Skype collaborating with his peers, you know, right. and, and they're searching on and, and, and I'm thinking they're playing all night and they're actually collaborating, talking, communicating, doing work. And that's where we wanted to get. We know that even though our, our children, we do have a one to one environment at our high school where kids are able to take their their uh, tools homes. You know, we still haven't closed the entire gap and we're trying with uh, connectivity. And so we make sure we started with block scheduling so that we can build that time within the classroom that children are able to, you know, utilize technology and communicate and collaborate during those high impact centers. And right. they have an expert there to help them because everybody doesn't have an expert at home to do homework, you know. And so we call it home practice. The things that they take home are, are things that they're more fluent in and they're, they're not struggling with and they can do independently. That's something totally different than the rigorous work that we're doing within our classrooms and that we're allowed to have a, a professional there to help facilitate that learning. Right. And it, it sounds like you're really intentional about teaching what a lot of people call the SEL or social emotional skills and with your teaching respect and responsibility and, and how to use their resources and making that part of your language. So Dr. Hitchman, is there anything else that you'd want to say about what you've seen in terms of output or the result of using this model in your district as we wrap up? You know, I, 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 it's really transformational. So behavior is down. You know, we have students who are, uh, you can walk through any room and you can walk through with, you know, from five to 10 to 20 adults. And those kids won't look up because they're engaged. They're, they're really you know, into their learning. It really uh, allows you, and, and students don't feel like they're left behind. And, and so that's the other thing I think is important. And then you go to the adult standpoint, the teachers, they don't feel like they're forced to a total blended model where they don't have, they feel like in those models, sometimes they don't have learning. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. They don't feel like that they have uh, worth in a sense. That, that they're just there to, to facilitate, and they, and they are. You know, and the other thing is that it strengthens the teacher's mindset that technology will not replace the teacher, right? And so I tell them all the time, technology will not replace the teachers, but those who use it will replace those who don't. And so it, it allows that professionalism. Um, it allows that familiarity with whole group instruction and to start to scaffold it out. And, and before you know it, we're practicing personalized learning and students are guiding their path with the help of their, their teacher or their instructor. And it's a great marriage. Wow. Well, that's exciting and you're creating opportunities and learning that'll change the world. So we thank you for your vision. We thank you for sharing that model with others so that that can be replicated. And like you said, where it's, it really elevates the role of the teacher, um, takes lots of things into current consideration, uses data, so that students demonstrate mastery and are also engaged in project-based learning. Thank you very much, Dr. Hickman. My pleasure, thank you for having me. Thanks so much to Dr. Philip Hickman for speaking with us today, to Mary Ryersey for producing, and to Troy Lund for mixing. Be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Kat, signing off.